0: Well, let's open to Luke chapter 6, and as you're finding that with me, we're going to pick up at verse 20 this morning and go through the end of the chapter, Uh, but I hope you can join us tonight for prayer. We'll just segue from this morning to the evening for prayer, and I think today is just important for us to just keep that focus on what the Lord is doing. Now, up to this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has obviously begun his ministry, going from town to town. He's demonstrating who he is. People are discovering that he really is the promised Messiah, and they know that by the miracles he's doing. As he's doing uh, the works that were predicted in the Old Testament, you'll know him when he begins to give sight to the blind. Uh, The lame can walk. The leper is cleansed. The dead are raised. It's like it becomes obvious. This is the promised Messiah. And not only is it recorded in the the Bible, and remember, the gospel are not just religious. It's not just scripture. They are history books. And so we have a collection of four history books that are recording the actual events and ministry of Jesus. Jesus. There's also uh, history books external to the Bible that are supporting this, the writings of Josephus, a Jewish historian. So can we believe this record? Absolutely. Can we then trust Jesus? What is the answer? Yes. Yes. Now you've said yes, but isn't it hard to trust the Lord for the things he wants to do in your life? Say yes. Okay, now the problem isn't with him. The problem is with us. So we can all just say that. We all struggle with areas of faith in our own life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Title of my message is A New Attitude. Because here Jesus begins to teach a great multitude of people who are standing before him. They're coming not only from the immediate regions, but now far, far away. They're traveling from Tyre and Sidon. They've heard of him and they've pressed in to. And it says in Luke's gospel that power has gone out from Jesus. And Jesus is healing all of them. God has compassion on people. He has compassion on people. It begins to teach what we call the Beatitudes. This connects over to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Not everybody thinks this is exactly the same message because he is standing in a plain rather than the side of a mountain. It's, it's almost the same message with some very slight variations. It's important if you have an actual paper, anybody here actually have an analog Bible with you today? You know what that is? That's paper. Printed Bible. Do you have a printed Bible? If you have a red letter edition, you notice it's, it's red through the rest of the chapter. I love red letters because I want to pay attention to what Jesus is actually saying. There's a good principle for life, isn't, isn't that? And as the Bible is, is given to us verse by verse and chapter by chapter, do you know it wasn't originally written that way? That that might seem obvious, but we have to remember that this whole section has a central theme. And that is found in verse 40, Luke 6, 40. Look at that. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. That's the theme of this whole section, this message Jesus is beginning to teach on discipleship. He's chosen the 12 out of a group of disciples. He's chosen 12 that would be apostles, sent out ones, ambassadors. And in this whole great crowd, some of them are not going to continue as disciples. They're going to go back to their old lives. They got their healing. They got what they wanted. And out of this multitude, many will continue in discipleship and Jesus begins to explain now if you're going to follow me here's what I want you to know how many of you have had the experience of God giving you a command and instruction that was impossible to do you ever had that let me see your hands you're all smiling at me this side you're not smiling okay you're working it out still Okay, that is a common experience. Do you know God gives impossible commands? The question is why? Why do you frustrate me like that? That is how God works. He doesn't give you things that are within your ability to do. He gives you things that you really want to do in your life, but you can't do them. And it's a, it's a common saying among preachers that God's enablements are, or God's commandments are his enablements. A little bit of dyslexia, I got it backwards. God's commandments, or let me, let me say, the ability to do is found in the command itself. If God tells you to do something, what comes with it is the power to do it. Now, how is that power activated? It's activated by your step of faith, your willingness to do it. Just as Jesus told Peter to step out of the boat, that was an impossible command. But Peter knew the principle and he said to Jesus, Lord, if that's you, bid me and I'll come to you. I'll do what you tell me to do, which is different from this idea that I have faith to do what I conceive in my brain. And I said that a week or two ago. That's not Christianity, that's Hinduism. That's Oprah. For us to conceive something and materialize it is not Bible. That is basically found in the religions of the world that you have to manifest something. I've tried that. Have you tried it? Well, I'm determined I'm going to go do this for the Lord. How did that work out? Not very well. The things that do work out really were things that God originally told you to do. So, He'll pay for what he tells you to go buy. And so the pressure is off of us to make things happen. Our only responsibility is to be willing to respond to the Lord's commands. If he says, Terry, do this, my only response and responsibility is, okay, I'll do it. But Lord, if you're not in this, shut it down because we're not always sure if we're rightly hearing from the Lord. And that's perfectly all right to say, Lord, if I'm getting this wrong, just shut the door because I don't want to step out and try and make something happen that you're not doing. But absolutely, if the Lord wants to do something amazing in my life, I'm all in. How about you? But quite often, those, in, those things are impossible commands that will freak you out. A man went to the doctor, true story, complaining of fatigue and shortness of breath. The doctor said, well, we really just need to get you on an exercise routine. I want you to start walking each day little bit and then each add a little bit more to it we're gonna work up to jogging we're gonna get you and 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 I want you to come back to me in six months and I want to see how your your endurance your strength is building up and he did it and came back to the doctor the doctor says well how's it going how's your walking you're running what's what's happening and the man's response was this is a true story well I I did it for quite a while, a couple of months, but I had to quit. The doctor says, why? The man says, well, the wind kept blowing out my cigarette. (laughs) It's a little too true to be funny. We're laughing because we do things like that. is so crazy you're thinking that can't be a true story I stole it from Paul Harvey (laughs) these people are ready to hear Jesus they've been through disease, disappointment crisis and there are those times in your life where you're Suddenly ready to hear. You know, I kind of feel like today is one of those days where you're ready to hear. You're always you always have a pretty good attitude, but I feel like we can hear this today. Impossible commands. I want you to write down five things that that are kind of outlining this passage, verses 20 through the end of the chapter. The first one is in verses 20 through 26, that I want you to know Jesus is saying that a disciple lives a blessed life. A disciple lives a blessed life. Now here's the contrast. It might not feel like it because life is hard. But we have, we're going to begin to have a different attitude follow with me, lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake." Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner, their fathers did so to the prophets. The prophets, the great men and women of God that God used in the Old Testament that we study and we respect, they were all persecuted for standing for righteousness Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. The mentality, the thinking of this world is I need to get ahead now. I need to get mine now. I need to advance now. And there's nothing wrong with advancement. With there's nothing wrong inherently with riches. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Money is neutral. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's amazing how some many or some some people are so blessed at at, uh, building up wealth. But there is hardship in this life. It's interesting to me how the world is so focused, obsessed with social justice right now. We want justice. We want justice. And maybe we even just wonder about the suffering. People say if there is a God... Why does he allow this injustice? The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did God say in each day of the creation? He looked at it and saw it and said, what? It was good. What does that mean? It means it was good. It was uncorrupted. It was fulfilling its very purpose. There was no sickness, no disease, no suffering in God's creation. And yet, then when man was given a choice to go along with this arrangement, because you see, God is love, and the very principle of love is a choice. I chose my wife, and she chose me back. I choose you, and if it's going to be a relationship based in love, it has to be responded by a choice faith is based in love but when man was given that choice he acted outside of god's instruction he made a different choice maybe not fully considering all the the consequences of it but when you choose to act outside of god's will there are consequences that single act of sin brought into the world the suffering and the sickness that the world sees. That wasn't God's creation. But God, knowing that that's the, what, what would happen, had already preordained to send his son and that the cross would be the destiny of the son of God. It was all worked out all arranged that God would allow this period of suffering for a time from the fall of man to the redemption. The second coming of Jesus would be a period of world history. We don't know exactly how long it's been, but the Bible tells us that God is going to give man what he wants. Do you know that about God? he gives man what he wants and allows him to see the consequences of it. But it's interesting that during this time of the, the sin and the suffering that is in the world, how man tends to blame God for it. One Christmas, I can't remember when I have eight grandkids, uh, Gave a a little truck or an RC car to one of my grandsons. He broke it in about 30 minutes, and he brought it back to me like it was my fault. God gives us something, we break it, and then say, God, why did you do that? And in the meantime, we are living in this world that is broken. And so we come to Jesus and expecting the Lord to just immediately get us out of it. To let's get me out of the suffering, the consequences that I've caused, the sickness that's around us. And instead of just immediately fixing your perfect little private world, the Lord begins to change you and enable you to live in this world. And one day he will write things. One day the Lord will bring justice to the world. Do you know that? It's all over the Old Testament. When the Lord returns, that's when justice will be established in this world. The world might be looking for it. They might even pushing rightly in some ways for it, but it's never going to completely happen because of the fall, the sin of man. Isaiah 51, verses 4 and 5, you might write that down. God says, listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm." Justice is coming. We don't need to be sit accusing God of allowing injustice. Man brought the injustice. God gave him what he chose. But in spite of it, we can live a blessed life. Do you know that? Stop looking it around at the unfairness of the world as if you can't be happy. That's my grandkids. Everything's not fair. That's not fair. He got that toy and I didn't get one. Let's be grownups. A man named Asaph in the Old Testament wrote some of the Psalms. He was a musician. He wrote Psalm 73 is especially interesting to me. You might read that. I'm going to read verses 3 to 5 and then 17 through 19, because he was complaining to God about the unfairness of the world. He says, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the the prosperity of the wicked. For there's no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. And then he says this down in verse 17. He goes on, this is unfair. I look at the rich and they just seem to just get away with whatever they want. Doesn't it seem like that today? And Asaph is complaining to God, he's going, "God, did I, my, I cleanse my hands in vain? Did I am I doing what's right for no good reason while the rich are getting away with whatever? The rich and the powerful Listen to verse 17 to 19. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Through prayer, Asaph got a new attitude. He suddenly saw things differently. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. What Jesus said, blessed are you who hunger now, your day is coming. Blessed are you who suffer now, your day is coming. Your day of consolation is coming. This world is not going to bring comfort to you. Stop waiting for that. There is another life coming. But woe to you who are rich, who party. Jesus says, you've had your consolation. Any comfort, you've already got it. Enjoy it now. So when we see the wicked enjoying their lavish lifestyle, and there's nothing wrong with wealth again, But thinking they have arrived and they're not thinking of God at all. You you can see, oh, they're enjoying it and that's going to come to an end. And whatever you are suffering, that's going to come to an end. So the disciple of Jesus Christ is really the one who has the blessed life. Do you see that? And it's amazing to me that even in this fallen world, how much the Lord blesses me, doesn't he? How about to just wake up when I was a young adult and realize I didn't need the big house in Palos Verdes. I so envied people that lived nearby me in Torrance, Carson, California, in Los Angeles. And it's, it's so extreme, Redondo Beach and Manhattan Beach and PV and kids I knew at the, at the beach, when they found out I lived in Carson, they'd go, oh, you're a flatlander. Ouch. What an injury. Because they lived up on the hill. That area where Tiger Woods had the severe car accident last year. Where Donald Trump owns a golf course out there on the peninsula. And at some point the Lord opened my eyes and I was, con- I was okay. I was, you know, contentment is so great. When you're not content, I need to buy more so I can get content. How about you just get content now? I don't need a house with 10 toilets in it because I don't want to help clean them all. Amen. Two is good enough. Paul said to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. First Timothy six. The second principle. A disciple loves people. A disciple lives a blessed life. Secondly, a disciple of Jesus Christ loves people. All people. Verses 27 to 38. But I say to you who here love your enemies. Now here we're going to go into impossible commands. Pastor Terry, I was with you until you got to this point. Say amen. Okay, let's just get that out. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Just as you want, here verse 31, highlight this. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. You get that? He's trying to tell you how to get people to treat you well. And there it is. Treat others the way you want them to treat treat you. Verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners led to sinners to receive as much back. Verse 35, but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. That's some of you. You remember how God has blessed you at times when you weren't even thinking of him? Yes. That's the grace of God. Therefore, be merciful, verse 36, just as your father also is merciful. Judge not. And you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you that you use, it will be measured back to you. How many of you want others to be generous and forgiving and gracious to you? Any hands here? You need to think about it a minute. We all want others to treat us well. And Jesus is simply saying the way for that to happen is to treat them with generosity. It's not complicated, but they don't deserve it. How many of you are thinking that? I can hear your lips, see your lips moving, but they don't deserve it. Well, do you deserve it? Ah, you're caught in my little trap. If you want to go down that road of who deserves it, nobody deserves it. This is not about who deserves it. You don't deserve what God gives to you, and yet you ask for it. And yet he gives to you anyway. So how about we all just change our attitude, kids? Just had this discussion with my grandsons, three of them. Friday night, we were babysitting. Man, they just so much want to play together until something goes wrong. I should have that toy. It's not right that he has that toy. We are so convinced we are full of justice. And the truth is, we are not full of justice. We're full of greed. But let me tell you this, where there might be injustice against you, do you know that God can bless you anyway? If you are looking at people, the unfairness of the world, as if they are keeping God from blessing you, that is absolutely wrong. God can bless you in spite of difficult people around you. Did you hear me? Your eyes are on somebody that's irritating you. And all you can think of is how difficult they are. This is one of the great lessons of grace is that God can bless you any way he wants at any time he wants, regardless of who's around you. The real question is your heart. God loves to bless his children. The greatest proof that we are children of God is our love for God and our love for people not our sense of justice, not how much we serve, not the great demonstration of our spiritual gifts. The proof that you are a child of God is that you have the character of God. And God is what? God is the very nature of God is love. John said in 1 John. And so children are like their parents. If we have the heart of God, it's going to be seen. Did you get those five actions that we read right there? Love, do good, bless, pray, give. And you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. 1 John 3, 10 and 11 In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That's cold, isn't it? It's pretty cut and dry. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's very plain. Again, an impossible command to love people, all people the same. And the only way you can do it is by the Spirit of God in your life. That's the only way. It is an impossible command. I agree. The third lesson of discipleship, verses 39 to 42 a disciple is becoming like Jesus. We might say that all of these principles are really just describing who Jesus is. Verse 39, and he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye? What a servant. When you yourself do not see the plank, the two by four, that is in your own eye, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, Then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Let me say that Jesus wants us to be able to help brothers with sin in their life. But I can't do that with this huge beam sticking out of my eye. Do you know why? We are so irritated with other people's particular sins. Now, we look at other people, we see sin in their life or weaknesses or failures, and we're not irritated by a lot of them. But certain sins will just irritate us so much. Do you know why those certain sins bother you so much? It's because you are doing the same. Oh, I'm not. Yeah, you are. It is the principle that Jesus is saying. The thing that you are struggling with always looks worse on somebody else. But I've dealt with it. Really? But really, when you have dealt with the areas of sin in your life, truly, then you do have a sense of compassion for others who do the same. Have you noticed that? When I haven't dealt with it, I'm judgmental. When I have dealt with it, I have compassion. That's a good rule for how to know if you actually have dealt with things in your life. You have compassion. Because you've become honest about dealing with these things in your own life. But Jesus desires, desires for us to be conformed into his image. We're disciples of the teacher. The teacher is Jesus, and the disciple becomes like the teacher. Romans 8, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Principle four, verses forty-three and forty-five to forty-five, a disciple leads a fruitful life. A disciple leads a fruitful life. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree, <clears throat> for every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns. Nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We've all said harsh things and said, I didn't mean that. You kind of did. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Bearing fruit or good fruit. Is not your doing. You don't have to go out and start striving to be good. Forcing it. Any more than a fruit tree is striving to produce fruit. It just does what it does. It happens very naturally in its season. And the child of God who is in fellowship with Jesus bears fruit. You're not striving. You're not forcing. You're not pushing. You're not telling everybody, I'm really going to be serious about my walk with the Lord, and I'm going to read my Bible every day, and then you don't do it. Religion is forced. Faith in Jesus is very natural. It's easy. And that's how you will know the difference. It becomes something that is at rest. Might be times of challenge or difficulty or test. But if you will simply yield your life to the Lord... He's saying, you will bear fruit. It will just come. John fifteen five, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. I love how simple that is. Let me tell you how many times I have promised I would to God I would do something and I didn't do it. I would tell you how many times if I even could knew how many times. I've lost count. The real change in your life is not promising something you can't do. It's just saying, yes, Lord. And he promises to do in you the things you could never do for yourself. All of this sounds great, but certainly it does come with letting go of an old way of thinking, an old way of living. As much as we want the new life in Christ, we kind of are comforted by our old way, aren't we? I like doing what I want while pretending to be walking with Jesus. And that's a conflict that all of us have. Really loving the Lord versus just putting on that I'm living for the Lord. The last principle, we'll wrap it up here this morning. Verses 46 to 49. A disciple lays a foundation for life. A disciple lays a foundation for life. Follow with me. 46 to 49, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? If you say Lord, it means he's in charge. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the floods arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Verse 49, but he who hears and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream Beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Did you see the news story a couple weeks ago? Rains, heavy rains in Seattle, a multi million dollar house, large house up on a hill, started slipping down the hill in a very affluent neighborhood. The wife was in the house. The husband went for a walk. He was down the hill, and he could see his own house beginning to slip off the foundation. He called his wife from his phone and told her to get out. You can build the most beautiful house you want, but there must be a real foundation. Because again, the storms are coming. They are coming. One of my sons-in-law works for um, a foundation re- repair company. He's under houses every day. Old houses, big houses, rural houses, city houses. He sees the cracks, the slipping of these foundations and gives people repair bills for $10,000 to 100000 And it's interesting how people don't want to repair their foundation. We would rather buy a new car than fix the foundation. Literally is the story of foundation repair in real estate. But you have a guarantee. We live in this world. It is unjust. It is unfair. Get used to it. But you have the promise that if you hear what the Lord says and do it, you will lay a foundation that will protect you from the injustice that comes. Do you believe we're living in the last days? I'm not sure if that's a familiar statement to many of you. We are living in the last days, that time in which we are looking for the Lord to return. Matthew 24 Wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, persecution. Are we there? Do you watch the news? Wars and rumors of wars. Russia, China, Ukraine, Israel, Syria, Iran. The sanctions against was that Syria were just lifted by the United States, leaving them freedom to go get nuclear weapons. Things are shifting. The rains are coming and the ground is shifting right now. Pestilence. That means disease. War. It's so normal to us, we need to look up and realize and get ready for the Lord's return.